Missing hours, conflicting stories and a young boy dressed in a Spider-Man costume spotted in a car around Benaroom Drive. That was just some of the compelling new evidence revealed this week as the coronial inquest into the disappearance of William Tyrrell continues. Taking the stand this week, key witness Paul Savage. He's a neighbour who has been interviewed many times by police. His whereabouts and movements for a crucial period of time, the day William vanished, are now being questioned. But some of Mr Savage's evidence may never be known as the court was closed again this week. I'm Natasha Belling. And I'm Leah Harris. This is Where's William Tyrrell? Leah, you are attending the coronial inquest as it continues in Taree, which is about 50 k's away from Kendall, where, of course, William disappeared almost five years ago. Tell us about what's been happening this week. I'm talking to you right now from inside the car outside of the courthouse during a lunch break. A lot has happened here in Taree this week. We're now on day five of the inquest here at the Taree courthouse. A lot of the, I suppose, most... Um, relevant information has been from neighbour Paul Savage. We've spoken a lot about him on the podcast. His testimony has been quite highly anticipated. He's now taken the stand three times this week. Uh, So we have heard a lot of testimony from him. And tell us in more detail, Leah, about Paul Savage. He was a neighbour of William's foster grandmothers at the time that William disappeared. Yeah, so he lived across the road from William's foster grandmother's house. William's foster grandmother no longer lives in that house, but Mr Savage does still live across the road from where he went missing. And he told the court earlier this week that he actually had a friendly relationship with William's foster grandmother and grandfather before he passed away uh, about six months before William went missing. Uh, And that he actually had met William on a number of occasions when they came to visit Kendall. Uh, We spoke before about how the foster parents did take the kids to Kendall quite a few times, uh, including a Christmas party in 2013 that they attended in the neighbourhood. Mr Savage and his then wife Heather also attended and that's where he met uh, William and he made a comment in court earlier this week that he noticed a close bond between William and his foster parents uh, and his quote was that he noticed the little fella was following his foster dad around. And crucially this week, Leah, we also heard about these missing hours that uh, Mr Savage has conflicting evidence about his whereabouts the day that William disappeared. That's right. So Savage was asked on several occasions to go through in detail exactly what he did the day that William went missing. And he was a creature of habit, as we heard in court this week. He used to go on a morning walk every morning. He had a particular route that he did uh, and that went up the fire trail from around his house, around through the bush, back up Benaroon Drive and back to his house. That route normally took him around two hours. His wife, Heather, who has since died but was alive at the time, Um, occasionally went with him for part of that route, but for the most part, he used to do that route um, by himself. And on the day William went missing, he set off for his normal morning walk, did his route um, around through the bushland and arrived home at about 8.50 a.m. That's when he went inside and made himself breakfast, toast and tea and had that on his patio sometime after 9 a.m. And what were his movements after that, Leah? 
So he claims that while he was sitting on the patio, he heard children playing and he thought it might have been the foster kids from across the road, but he couldn't see them. He told the court that he knew that there might have been a visitor, the, the foster parents across the road, because the day before he actually noticed the car, a strange car in the driveway that he thought might have been them. Interestingly, he told the court that he saw that and told police that he saw that car the afternoon before on the Thursday, which actually doesn't match up with the timeline that we know the foster parents have given that they didn't actually arrive until 9pm the night before. Uh, That hasn't yet been clarified as to why that discrepancy is there, but he he claims that he thought it might have been the kids from across the road, but he couldn't see them. He claims he didn't have a line of sight from his veranda where he was sitting eating his breakfast to um, where the, the yard where they were playing. Is it true there is some time unaccounted for to where Mr Savage actually was that day, Leah? It is true and it's quite a complicated timeline to explain why and how um, that time is not accounted for. So he claims he went back inside after breakfast at around 9.30am or 9.45am and helped his wife Heather tidy the kitchen. Phone records show that he then made a phone call to to the casino hospital where his brother was a patient and that call lasted about eight minutes and he claims he was making arrangements to pick up his brother and then he was going to look after him for about a week. He planned to leave at about 11am and Casino was a few hours away so he was going to be away for about a week. Meanwhile, his wife Heather was getting ready for bingo which is, was in Loriton, um, which she did every Friday starting at 1130 At 10.35am, he looked at his watch and noticed that she was running a little bit late and he said to her, "Um, you'll be late if you don't get going. This is what he said in court this week. Meanwhile, he was packing his bag to go away for the week. She left the house shortly after and he walked her to her car, gave her a kiss and then she drove off. He was then asked if he heard anything at that point while he was outside in the driveway waving her off, anyone calling out and he claims that he didn't hear anything. Now, this was around, as we said, 10.35, 10.38, um, and he claims that he didn't hear anything. However, a lot of witnesses, and this was pointed out in court, did hear and see the foster dad running around at this point um, trying to find William. There were a few questions asked to him about how he would not have heard that, but he claims he didn't hear anyone calling out at that point. He went back inside and he had the radio on quite loud. He then claimed he started making tea and toast again and he was asked to clarify that because obviously he he said he already had his tea and toast. He said he wanted to have something to eat before he got on the road to go to casino. He then made another phone call at 10.41am to an x-ray place about an appointment and he told the court he doesn't remember making that call but accepts that he must have. And that's when he heard a knock at the door and it was Anne-Marie Sharpley who was a neighbour and she told him that William was missing. So at what point during the day are there some questions over his movements or inaccuracies about exactly where Mr Savage was? So it was the hours after William disappeared that are a little bit unclear as to exactly what he was doing. So he told the court that once he learned that there was a missing child and that it was the foster child from across the road, he then went across the road to speak to the foster grandmother who he was friendly with. He went into her house and had a very short conversation with um, the foster grandmother and he actually caught a glimpse of the foster father in the house at the time Um, and this is just after William had disappeared. He then left the house to go and search for William. He claims he walked up Benaroon Drive and had a conversation with Mr and Mrs Crabb who live across the road uh, in their driveway. 
and the court heard that they don't actually recall seeing him. They don't recall that conversation at all. He then started looking for William, went to some neighbouring houses. He said he started checking some drains uh, and then he went up the hill to look in case he went that way. He said that everyone else was going downhill to to look for William, thinking that's where he would have gone. So he made the decision to go uphill where no one else had, had gone to look for him yet. Did he explain, Leah, why he decided to go uphill? He just said that because everyone else had gone in the other direction, because they thought that was the logical place where a kid would have gone, that perhaps he thought it might be helpful to go in the opposite direction and cover that ground up into the bushland. It was put to him this week that uh, perhaps it was um, not that realistic to think that a child would have walked up into that bush. Um, however, he, he claimed he just wanted to go go somewhere where no one else was searching so that they didn't double up. Before I get into exactly what his timeline was after this, I should say that he does claim in court that uh, his memory is a bit cloudy. He is now 75. He turned 75 this week and he claims that his memory isn't the best. He claims that he then continued up the fire trail at the end of Benaroon Drive. And if you do get to the end of Benaroon Drive, there is a dirt track that then turns around to the left and goes through the bush. It can only be accessed um, either on foot or with a four-wheel drive. Um, He claims he walked up that track and followed it around to the left. Now, this is the route that he usually takes going for his walk. So you could assume he was quite familiar with it. Um, But he claims he, he walked through this bush and we were then shown a video in court of him doing a walkthrough with some detectives showing them exactly where he went but once he gets up through the fire trail um, for, for a while he then told them that he basically turned off the track and cut through the bush back towards his house however he couldn't remember exactly which route he took through the bush he cut back around and ended up back at his house now, this route was very small. It was it was a very small loop and it was a lot smaller than the route he normally takes, which takes him about two hours. He said that this would have probably taken him around half an hour to 45 minutes to do that loop around up Benaroon Drive and then through the bushland and back to his house. And we've heard that it's during this time that Mr Savage got lost in that bushland. Is that correct? He claims that he cut through the bush thinking that perhaps that was the best way that he could hear William if he had wandered into that bush. Um, He cut back towards where the houses were, thinking that he would have been closer to where the houses were. And in the walkthrough, he gets a little disorientated. He can't remember exactly where he went that day but eventually ends up back at his house and he estimates he was he was gone for, for no more than 45 minutes. So as we heard in court, that would have put him back at his house at around 11.30, 11.45 and he accepts that's, that would be around the time that he got home. He then says that he went out the front of his house to see what was going on and he saw some police cars and he told the court he thought, they don't need me at this stage. So he didn't go and speak to them. He didn't go and, um, you know, chat to anyone outside to see what was going on. He went back inside to have a cup of tea for about 15 minutes. He was asked in court why he wouldn't go and check if William was still missing, um, perhaps chat to police. And as I said, he just thought, they don't need me. Um, I'll just go back inside and have a cup of tea. It's important to note here, Leah, that Mr Savage has always proclaimed his innocence over the disappearance of William Tyrrell. And we even heard this week that his legal team believes Mr Savage has been unfairly targeted. 
Absolutely. And and his legal team pointed out after his testimony was finished this week that, as I said, he is an elderly man. He's 75. Um, He has gone over this story quite a few times with police over the past few years and that perhaps they've all started blending in together and he's just got a bit confused five years later as to exactly what he did um, on that day. Um, But it was pointed out in court that if he got home latest 11.45, he then went back inside and he estimates he was in there for about 15 minutes and then he came out and started searching and that's when his brother-in-law Greg, sister-in-law Regina Newton arrived for their visit. He claims they arrived shortly after he came back out of the house to keep searching, which we heard in court by his timeline would be around midday. However, Greg and Regina Newton have told police that they actually arrived around 1pm or 1.30pm and that's when they saw Mr Savage standing on the street where he says he was in front of his house. So that leaves over an hour where it's not accounted for um, and he was asked in court, you weren't standing on the street for an hour and he he says no Uh, and this is a quote from the council assisting, so if Greg Newton is right about his estimate then you might have spent more than 15 minutes in the house, you might have spent an hour inside the house and Mr Savage said he couldn't remember but he didn't think it would have been more than 15 minutes. So essentially, there is over an hour that uh, Mr. Savage has been unable to explain where he was, and he wasn't seen by anyone um, after he left the foster grandmother's house to go and search until he was then seen uh, out in front of his house around 1 p.m. So, Leah, this is after William disappeared because they believe now that William disappeared or was abducted shortly after 10 o'clock that morning. That's right. So there are conflicting timelines as to exactly when um, William went missing, but the general consensus seems to be that it was sometime between 10am and 10.30, most likely around um, the 10.15 mark. And Mr Savage also spoke this week about, yet again, these mysterious cars in Benaroon Drive. Yeah, so Mr Savage claimed in court that he saw two cars parked on Benaroon Drive two days before William disappeared. And he described the cars as one white and one blue. They were parked quite close together and he thought that the white one was a 90s model Toyota Camry and that the other one was an older model blue sedan. He was asked whether he told police about these cars after William disappeared and he said that he recalled telling someone but can't remember who. Um, However, the court did hear that he didn't tell police this in his first statement that he gave in late September. And there are also conflicting stories from Mr Savage about his relatives visiting that day that William disappeared. Yeah, so I mentioned that um, his brother-in-law, Gregory Newton, and his wife were set to visit the day that William disappeared, and they did visit and arrived about 1 or 1.30 p.m. Um, and he's given conflicting reports in his police interviews um, and, you know, different to what he said in court, that um, whether or not he knew that the Newtons were visiting that day He's previously said that his his wife, Heather, had been cooking that morning in preparation for their visit and that uh, when he left the house to go and search for William, he left the house open thinking that they may arrive. However, he has then later said that he didn't know that they were coming uh, and so he wasn't aware of their visit. So there are some conflicting stories from him in regards to details like that. However, his lawyer then clarified with him in court today that perhaps he just might not have remembered his wife, Heather, telling him about it. Mr Newton has given evidence and his wife 
that they both um, say they called Heather, Mr. Savage's wife, the day before to say that they were coming. So he accepted in court that perhaps his wife Heather did tell him about the visit and he simply doesn't remember. He also told the court that he has always done what he can to help police and to help the coroner and his lawyer wanted to clarify that um, perhaps all these times he has recounted what has happened um, around that time with police over the years have all blended in together and that perhaps it's a possibility that he's just getting confused. It's important to note, Leah, that Mr Savage is adamant he has done nothing wrong and has had nothing to do with the disappearance of William Tyrrell. That's right. He claims he has no knowledge of what has happened to William and we put that question to him again outside court this week and this is what he said. I've got nothing to say. Nothing else. There was also evidence tendered this week about the former investigator of the William Tyrrell disappearance, former Detective Inspector Gary Jubelin. His conduct was targeted this week in court. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Mr Savage's lawyer questioned another officer who took the stand this week, um, Laura Beecroft. She was um, seconded to the strike force um, in 2015 and, and spent a lot of time assisting with that investigation under the direction of Gary Jubelin. Uh, and she was asked about um, an interview that was done between Gary Jubelin and Mr Savage, where Jubelin asked him about sitting on the patio that day, having his breakfast and listening to the kids play. Now, we were shown a um, one of the one or two pages of the transcript of this lengthy interview that was done between Mr Jubelin and Mr Savage while Mr Jubelin was the lead investigator. And the court heard that Jubilant asserted in that interview that William was heading in the direction of his house when he was last seen. And when I say that, I mean that William was heading in the direction of Mr Savage's house when he was last seen. He also apparently claimed in the interview that Mr Savage had a direct line of sight from where he was sitting to where William was playing when he was last seen. The court was then shown an image of the view from Mr Savage's patio and his lawyer argued that there was no line of sight. His lawyer wanted to make the point about it being improper to mislead him by saying that it was a direct line of sight during the interview. And the coroner said that Detective Beecroft couldn't speculate on what Jubilant was thinking at the time. So that line of questioning um, was sort of concluded after that. But Savage's lawyer did make the point that he thought it was improper to suggest that there was a direct line of sight um, when he argued that there wasn't. Now, interestingly, Mr. Jubelin was in the courtroom to hear all of this. He has been here all week in Taree. He has travelled here to be here for the inquest. However, an application last week to call him as a witness was denied by the coroner. So all this testimony surrounding his actions in the police interview and speculating on what he might have been doing or why he might have done this, none of this has actually been put to Mr. Jubelin. Important to note that Mr Jubelin has resigned from the New South Wales Police Force. He is protesting his innocence but currently facing misconduct allegations over this investigation. That's right. So he is no longer a serving police officer and he is still um, going through the courts um, charged with these misconduct allegations, which he um, claims he, he has done nothing wrong and he is simply here at the inquest as a private citizen. Other evidence heard this week at the coronial inquest, Leah, is about this reported sighting of William. Someone saw a young boy dressed in a Spider-Man costume spotted in a car around Benaroon Drive. 
A man by the name of Ronald Chapman who lived on nearby Laurel Street. He was interviewed by Detective Sergeant Laura Beecroft, who I've mentioned earlier, who gave evidence this week. And she said that he told her he was living on Laurel Street about 1.6 kilometres from Benaroon Drive. Um, And on the day that William disappeared, he saw a car drive past his house um, and that there was a child in the backseat of that vehicle up against the passenger side of the window. And he recalls that the child was wearing a Spider-Man suit. He heard that car outside his house and turned around to look at it and saw the car travelling from the direction of Batak Creek Road, which is um, where you would come from if you were coming from Benaroon Drive. And his recollection was that it was a little boy in a Spider-Man suit. Now, it was said in court that Mr. Chapman is a respected man in the local area and a credible witness, and police don't believe that he was making this up. Has that been pursued as yet by authorities? Detective Sergeant Beecroft said that despite her efforts, they have not been able to find that car or that child. There was a child living across the road from Mr. Chapman who did own a Spider-Man suit, And they thought initially that perhaps it might have been that child, but Detective Sergeant Beecroft said that she interviewed that child's mother and established that it was not her child. So that child in the Spider-Man suit and that car have not been identified. Mr Chapman also told Detective Sergeant Beecroft that there was another car following that car as well and they seemed to be following quite closely and he got the impression that they were travelling together. Neither of those cars have been identified. So this new evidence this week is consistently with the ongoing theories, especially from authorities, that they believe William was abducted and driven away from the scene in a car. That's right. And the description that um, Mr Chapman has given is that the car with the boy in it was being driven by a, a woman. That's that's what he recalls. And that the car that was following behind was driven by a man. It's important to note, though, we do expect to hear from Mr Chapman himself sometime uh, during this inquest. Yet again, we saw the court closed this week at the coronial inquest. Why, Leah? And is this set to continue? So as we mentioned in the last episode, the media did make an application against the closing of the court last week. However, that was denied. Now, this week, uh, Mr Savage took the stand on three different days. Uh, on the last day, on the Friday, um, he gave had given a lot of testimony up until then. Um, but for the last hour and a half of his testimony, they closed the court. They didn't say exactly why. Um, however, inquiries that we have made since then suggest that it is for the same reason they have been closing it over the past few weeks for certain witnesses. So unfortunately, some key evidence was presented in court um, for the past hour and a half of Mr Savage's testimony. We don't know what that is. We may never know what that is. We may never know what he was questioned about in that time. Uh, It's also important to note that the interview that Gary Jubilant did with um, Mr Savage, apparently it was about four hours long and it was videoed. It was briefly mentioned in court earlier this week that that does exist and we can only assume that in that um, interview a lot of evidence was put to Mr Savage. However, they haven't mentioned whether they're actually going to be playing that interview for the inquest. That would obviously clear up uh, a lot of questions um, around Mr Savage and um, why he was interviewed by police so extensively. It's not yet known if we're going to have access to that video. The ongoing coronial inquest has understandably been very difficult for William's family. Have any reasons been given to any of the journalists or family members about why the court is closed so often? 
we've only been given very general reasons and that is around the ongoing investigation. This obviously is an ongoing police investigation, um, protecting police methods and the integrity of this investigation. We're not told specifically why certain witnesses um, need to be heard in a closed court um, or anonymously um, and those decisions are made in a closed court. So we don't actually get to um, be privy to those decisions as to um, why they need to be um, remaining anonymous. Um, however, Tash, I think it's also important to note that this inquest has been particularly frustrating, not just because of that, but because of the constant delays. There have been significant delays, particularly here in Taree, and this is about a four-hour drive um, from Sydney. So a lot of people, including William's family members, have travelled to be here in Taree and are staying in, in hotels for five days while this inquest happens here in Taree. And yet we have seen significant delays. We've seen the court um, not sitting for hours at a time. Uh, there was one day where it only sat for 20 minutes and then closed for the rest of the day, not hearing any testimony. There may be good reasons for this. We're not sure exactly what those are, but it does seem that there are significant delays and that is really dragging out this coronial process. Leah, the coronial inquest concludes there this week in Taree in northern New South Wales. What happens next? So it will resume again in Sydney um, on Monday after this episode is released. Uh, and that is when we expect to hear from washing machine repairman Bill Spedding um, and possibly his wife as well. We've been told this week that we haven't got through a lot of the witnesses that were expected to be heard here in Taree. And so the inquest is now set to resume here in Taree again in November. It will come back here for another week to hear from local witnesses. So it does seem that this particular inquest and the testimony and these 50 witnesses, and it's important to remember, there are 50 witnesses set to be heard in this inquest and we have only heard a fraction of them in the first three weeks. So it seems it's going to drag out until at least mid-November. Have you had any indication from William's family or friends about how incredibly frustrating this process has been? Look, everyone's hoping and, and assuming that there is, um, you know, a, a method in place behind all of this and trusting in the justice process, trusting in the coronial inquest, that all is being done that can be done to um, speed this along and to do what they can. However, I think it's safe to assume that the delays are frustrating for them and will continue to be frustrating if it does continue along this line. As Leah mentioned, the coronial inquest continues next week in Sydney. We will keep you posted on any crucial developments as this investigation continues. Where's William Tyrrell is produced and presented by Leah Harris in conversation with Natasha Belling. Produced and edited by Stuart Buckland. The recording and audio work by the 10 team of Mitch Willard, Bevan Tantu and Josh Pollock. Thanks to everyone in the 10 News team for their support and assistance. You can contact the show at whereswilliam at network10.com.au. If you have any information that may assist this case at all, please contact police or Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000. If you would like to find out more about the Where's William campaign, please visit www.whereswilliam.org. This has been a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks.